I feel like this topic is kind of controversial. Yeah. Because because Catholic education is kind of like a sacred cow in our yeah. country, you know? Like yeah. the the truth is is that there's just very little correlation between Catholic education and lifelong discipleship anymore. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Every Knee Shall Bow, your weekly Catholic podcast on evangelization. I'm Mike Gormley, and I'm joined, as always, by Dave Milk and Honey Van Vickle. How are you doing? Dave <laughs> Milk and Honey Van Vickle. I love it. I'm good. I'm. I feel like I'm. It in- was originally Locust Lo- and Honey Van Vickle because I was like going for a whole John the Baptist. Movie. Yeah, right. But Milk and Honey just I felt suited your personality yeah. better. Yeah, it's it. No, it would be better for you because you're in Texas, the land of milk and honey, the promised land. Yeah. I am in yeah Pittsburgh, <laughs> where. <laughs> Uh, where I'll die. Uh, I'll die after the next winter. Yeah. But no, I'm doing good. Um, we are, you know, just cruising along. And actually, I don't know. See, I don't know if they because you're from the south. I went to my very first ever parish festival. Do you guys have those? Uh I mean, we do in theory. Okay. Some places will have it, but up north, back east, St. Louis, other places, they're doing big. Yeah. 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 It's a big deal, man. Oh, I had no idea. Yeah, so I went to my fir- we had our fir- our parish festival this weekend, and uh, th- I've never been to one in my life ever because it's just not I, it's not my thing. But like now that I'm working here, it like it was awesome. They had rides and stuff like that, and all I can think is next year, like oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna do everything I can to try and, and use <laughs> this. You know, I, my um, brother in law and his wife, their family, um, Jane and Brandon, we went to their local parishes. I think it was called Sacred Heart. Oh my goodness. It was like what I was used to in Oklahoma of a full like town festival. That's what this parish did. Right. That's what they had. That's what this was like. I mean, that's what this was. Carnies like. everywhere, all sorts of games, Knights of Columbus selling booze. Yeah. And the and you yeah. come to it if you're not even Catholic. Here in in Texas, we will do like a St. Anthony something or other. And when we have our parish, it's really just for our parishioners. Yeah. But this is like for the neighborhood. Right. Right. Like everyone right. comes. Right. It, it, it's awesome. It's awesome. I, I right. liked it. So, so my, so Max wanted to go, you know, they have those huge slides, the potato sack slide. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So Max wanted to go on the slide, you know, but, uh, you know, Max can't walk yet. He has cerebral palsy. So he, so I had to carry him up. And like as I'm in line, I see people like looking at me, you know, like, and I'm like, why are these people looking at me, you know? And so I, I we get up to our turn in line, and I put Max on my shoulders. And uh, and all of a sudden, I realized, like, I don't even – I hardly even fit on the stairs to get up <laughs> to the slide. So every so a crowd is billowing watching this thing because the slide is not – like, my behind is too big for the slide. Go on. And I'm basically, like – I'm basically, like – Riding on top of the two sides of the slide <laughs> with Max on my, on my, in the whole play, you know, everybody's watching. Like, you know, it was just, it was crazy. You know, I get to the top and it's, I realize I don't even fit on the slide anymore. Please so. tell me this is going to end up on a YouTube fail video channel. No, 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 no. no. It went, it went okay, but it was definitely unnerving to turn around and see everybody watching me trying to get up the ladder. <laughs> But yeah, but anyways, parish festivals, man, it's a, it's, you know, Sherry Waddell talks about all the time. It's a bridge of trust. There were as many people I did not recognize at all at that festival as people that I did recognize. So they're coming to campus grounds for, you know, for that reason. And I, I walked up to the, 
to our church and it was locked and it was just like oh no you know yeah um, I, I don't know um Dave, if you're active in this uh, speaking circuit thing, but the Apologetics Conference, Fullness of Truth, are you familiar with that? Oh, yeah. That's awesome. That's an awesome conference. Yeah. So uh, that was just my little fake segue. Dave, actually. <laughs> <laughs> have, have you ever heard of this thing? So no, Dave, of course I have. Everybody's heard of Fullness of Truth. I mean, right. if, you're, if you're a church nerd, you've heard of it. Yeah. They're the kind of, I guess you would say, the premier apologetics conference. They do them all over the place in Texas because that's where the organization is set up but they bring in these huge speakers and then they bring in me so uh, i'm gonna be i'm gonna be giving dave van vickles talk <laughs> that he's oh, not yeah, giving right. on that's uh right. basically mary and spiritual combat the theme is ark of the covenant and i have because of my inclusion class which is my kind of homegrown modified rca for well-formed protestants who are already baptized um the, uh, which is a heavy emphasis on apologetics because of my renewed interest in that, I had to take a break from apologetics for a while because I felt like it was trumping my need for evangelization. And now I'm like, oh, no, now i got to double down on this stuff. Well, uh, it couldn't come at a better time. Uh, they are doing this big event out in San Antonio um, in, in mid-August, so in a couple weeks. I'm giving my talk on Sunday. Mine, I think, is the last talk of the event. So it's going to be like Tim Staples and Curtis Martin and Immaculate Illibagiza, Father Donald Calloway, Whoa, those are big and names. Mike Gormley. <laughs> <laughs> I'd put you up there. I'd rather I'd go see to you, and and I'd shun the rest. <laughs> in fact, I'd boo the rest just to go see you. But yeah, if you're around there, if you're in San Antonio, go go to the Fullness of Truth Conference. It's awesome. Yeah. You will not be disappointed, and you'll get to meet Gomer in person. Yeah, and it's at a resort, so win win win. Whoa! So Gomer, yeah. so today. Uh, I feel like this topic is kind of controversial. Yeah. Because because Catholic education is kind of like a sacred cow in our yeah. country, you know? Like yeah. the the truth is is that if you are a church nerd and, and let me let me just put out this out there. I believe in Catholic education. I do. I believe deeply in Catholic education. I think the church should be integrally involved in in Catholic education. But if you are a church nerd like Gomer and I any survey that comes out, there's just very little correlation between Catholic education and lifelong discipleship anymore. It's not the way it used to be in the old days where, you know, you you got your faith handed on to you from the Catholic school. It, it just It's just not happening anymore. We're not successfully evangelizing. And this isn't every school in the United States. It's not every diocese in the United States. But generally speaking, uh, Catholic schools are struggling now to create lifelong disciples. And most of the statistics reflect that, you know, uh, it makes almost no difference in whether or not someone practices their faith past college. Now, there are the the schools that are doing it really well, and there are schools around uh, that are, you know, kind of the example. But for the most part, uh, what we're seeing is the statistics just don't reflect that. Uh, what we want to talk about today is changing the culture of a Catholic school, because we've gotten several emails from Catholic school employees, from principals, from presidents about evangelizing using the school. And it is an ideal place to evangelize. And so we want to talk about what it means to actually turn that school around and make it an evangelizing powerhouse. So we're going to give some some ideas, some tips today. And remember, when I say that, you know, there's no link between Catholic education and lifelong discipleship, remember who's going to these schools? I mean, the family is who's supposed to be evangelizing these kids. There's no question. A school can't do it without the family. Right. But what we can do is we can support 
the families that are trying to evangelize their children. And that's what yep. we want to talk about. Yep. One of the big things for me in this perspective is I went to public school, private school, and I was homeschooled uh, in my K-12 education. I did a little bit of it all. And I have interesting thoughts and realities that kind of touch on all of them and experiences. I went to a super conservative public school, which is kind of weird to say we were normal for that area. But looking around the country, Broken Arrow, Oklahoma, in the buckle of the Bible belt, right? Um, I mean, they used to pass out New Testaments on Good Friday and stuff like that. So um, I realized that that was a different environment. But even then, um, you can see that faith and culture and schooling were interwoven even at a public school at a catholic school and right. in homeschooling so uh I, I think that i think that we can speak these things i also want to say that we are specifically addressing catholic private schools we there are many different models so just realize the fact that we're painting with a broad brush here and we want absolutely to, we, but right. we more so want to speak to the i guess i would say more diocesan type catholic schools or you know those parochial schools and, and whatnot um i went to a catholic diocesan high school so it pulled from all over town you know into this one big school so our, our your mileage may vary uh that's my only disclaimer right your mileage right. may vary. right and we're not we're not trying to offend anyone in fact uh, you know, Gomer and I, we, one of the main speaking things that we do during the year are, are, are high school faculty retreats, you know, for schools around the country. Uh, I do several a year. Gomer's doing several in the next this week. week. Yeah. yeah this, right. Literally in an hour, I'm driving to Conroe <laughs> at the Sacred Heart Catholic School and doing it for their, for their school. Yeah. So, I mean, it, you know, this is th good things are happening. I want to say that. I mean, I'm excited about the swing of Catholic education mm -hmm. in our country, but I want to talk about just a few things that you can do to really quickly and seriously affect Catholic school culture to make it a culture for evangelization. And I'm going to throw out some ideas. We're going to have some discussion here, and I know Gomer will have some ideas here. The first thing is, is that if you're in a position of leadership to make change, if you're in a position to make change, you have the responsibility to start evangelizing your teachers and not taking for granted their relationship with Jesus Christ, okay? Uh, we're going back to soul of the apostolate here. Your teachers cannot make saints if they're not trying to be saints themselves, okay? And that's what we want. We want these schools to be little schools of saintliness. Um, and so my, my first suggestion to you, right, is to start explicitly speaking. If you were in a position of leadership— to start explicitly speaking about your relationship with Jesus Christ and about how Jesus Christ wants a really a daily passionate relationship with each of your employees and just break the ice in that sense right if they don't feel like they can talk about it at school meetings then they're never going to be able to talk about it with the children as well it's going to become where they teach rules and laws and things like that of the church as opposed to that loving relationship that gives the context for those rules, uh, for that catechesis that they'll receive. Dovetailing right off of that, because Sherry Waddell talks about the culture of silence within parishes. We don't talk about what who Christ is to us. So if you speak it, then you're giving permission for them to speak it. You're kind of breaking that silence. I would also talk about something that I notice in Catholic schools, um, which is the, the public schools kind of set the tone of professionalism within institutions. Absolutely. And so there is a relational element that gets lost um, once they enter into 
once Catholic schools take academics more seriously than faith formation and whatnot. Um, so I was invited out to a Catholic high school that was known for bringing in basically world-class theologians to lead them in Catholic identity and, and all this stuff, training, I don't know, teachings. And they said, we want it to be, we want yours to be something different, but we want you to continue the thing. And so my, when I was with them, I said, listen, I, I don't, I'm not a world-class theologian like the last three people you had. What I want to do is get your kids to look at their teachers and the, and the um, administration and say, see how they love one another. Yep. Right. So one of the things that we have to realize is the Catholic school was formed as an extension of Catholic community. Right. Right. You can't separate authentic Christian community from a school and parochial schools. I mean, this is constantly the battle, right? This is constantly the tension. You have a parish, you have a parish school. Often they don't get along. Right. Um, there's a lot of silos. You know, you put the wrong color marker lid on the wrong color marker. Therefore, annihilation will ensue. You know, we have to look at these things. But um, I would encourage us all to take stock and reread um, the the approach of servant leadership that Christ had, right? The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And, you know, when the disciples are clamoring for power, Christ said, the Gentiles want authority over people, right? And they wield it and hold it over their heads, but not so. You, my disciples, the greatest shall serve the least. The principals shall serve the janitors, shall serve the lunch crew, shall serve the faculty. And when you begin to see it through that model, it doesn't mean that we annihilate leadership. It means that leadership is always on the lookout to serve. And I think that creates a different dynamic and feeling within the school. And the reason why you serve, why you're not afraid to get down on your hands and knees and wash some feet, is because Christ Jesus did the same for you. Amen. And I okay, so we've talked a little bit about leadership. If you're in a position of leadership, I wanna I wanna get here to the teachers now. Okay. And I and I wanna I wanna come right out and say that I believe of the graces of my life, of course my parents handed on a love for Jesus Christ to me, but of the graces of my life of evangelization, the grade school that I went to was more instrumental in me having a relationship with Jesus Christ than any other thing I can point to. In all honesty, I went to a school, a very small, very poor Catholic school in Dallas, Texas, um, which was associated with the charismatic renewal. And it was also classical education. Um, but most, all, actually almost all of the teachers came from Franciscan university of Steubenville. Most of them were first year teachers and you know, started there because they didn't have any experience and they knew they could get a job there and there was a lot of community there. But I can honestly say that looking to those teachers and and knowing, I, I, I can still give some of their testimonies. I could still literally tell you the story of how they came to Jesus Christ uh, and made him the Lord of their life because they explicitly told us those things. And so what I want to say is that the teachers, you know, more more than anything, you need to be very vocal about your relationship with Jesus Christ because at, at the bottom line is when we're getting down to the philosophy of Catholic education, most of Catholic education is flawed because we're taking what Gomer said, you know, the kind of the public model, right? And and in a certain sense, what we're what we're doing is swapping our goal. 
What we want to do is create good humans, right? We don't want to create good consumers. Good consumers, yeah, you want them to pass a test and get really high scores so they can get into a great school, so they can get a good job, so they can make a lot of money, buy things, and be happy, right? That's not what our goal is, right? Our goal is to make saints and to get kids to heaven. And so you want to start thinking about that and make sure that the bulk of your day is spent in a very evangelical mindset, right? That you're constantly breaching those grounds of uh, talking about your faith in an explicit way. And I can say that, you know, even if you don't have the greatest relationship with your students, you know, I honestly can say that one of the greatest graces of my life are the teachers that I had in grade school and in high school who explicitly spoke to me about their relationships with Jesus Christ. That school is still around. It's just grade school now. Uh, it's called Mount St. Michael Academy, I think, in, in Dallas. It was called Prince of Peace when I went there. But it, it was a phenomenal model where the teachers were holy. They were trying to be holy, and they passed that on to the students. You can't hide that pursuit. You can't hide that pursuit. No. Like, they will see, the kids will see that this is an authentic thing in your life. Um, authenticity matters more to the younger generations than it does the older generations. And the the goal of being witnesses before teachers needs to be drilled into our heads. Um, working as I have with probably about 40 or 50 Catholic schools over the years, I would say that the greatest tendency of our Catholic schools is to treat faith like history, just another liberal art thing to memorize facts, figures, and dates to get a good grade on a test. Right. An excellent remedy for this is Frank Sheed's Are We Really Teaching Religion? Uh, it was an address that he gave, Frank Sheed being Australian in the United Kingdom, that gave a talk to a bunch of Irish teaching nuns, and it was called Are We Really Teaching Religion? And his whole goal and understanding was kids are coming out with this amalgam of Catholic knowledge where it's all just kind of smashed and all over the place. It's not systematized because there's no governing principle over it. So if you got Our Lady of Lords and the Incarnation and the Trinity and the Eucharist and, uh, you know, private devotions and all this stuff, all kind of mixed and mashed. And his whole thing was, you know, this is back in the time when there's corporal punishment, right, in Catholic schools. And he said, that should be the last time, the last place that you ever use corporal punishment is in religion. So that, um, and this is kind of a funny thing he says, so right. that when the kids leave school and they think back on Sister So-and-So teaching religion, they'll say, wow, you know, even Sister Mary Margaret was a Christian in religion class. Um, but the number <laughs> one crime of, I, I call it Catholic school syndrome, you get these teenagers who, number one, think they know it all, and number two, their faith could not be less of an actual faith and more of a dry-as-dust memorization and reciting of facts, right? And so Christ is not a living, vital person. Christ is Napoleon, an important figure in Western Civ that I got to know stuff about, and that's it. And so right. anything you can do to remedy that Catholic school syndrome, I want to empower you to do. And so part of that is having uh, memorized prayer. Part of that is not having memorized, praying from the heart and modeling that for your kids. The most important word is model. Like, if you want to see the behavior, and we all know this. I'm not. We're not saying anything new. But um, to truly begin to model authentic Catholic life and livelihood is the only time your teachers pray the rosary when they're praying it with the kids. The only time they go to mass when they're going mass with the kids. And there's something fundamentally off there when you're in 
in faculty training and retreats and in services is the only time you pray as just kind of the standard forced bookends to a meeting. Start off with an Our Father, you end the thing with a glory be, and then you move about your way. Do you foster devotions amongst the teachers? Um, do you send, uh, as teachers, can we um, help to build up the faith of our kids by giving them access to things outside of just the course material that might respond to where they're coming from, like you know Father Mike Schmidt's YouTube videos and stuff like that? Right. There's just so much out there that can help communicate, but what needs to be communicated is our own personal zeal because that's what will change it from this just another liberal art to something that is deeply personal. And lastly, I just want to say, um, Frank Sheed, when he taught that, he said, the organizing principle should be this sentence, the union of man with God in Christ Jesus, right? The union of man with God in Christ Jesus. And he said, so in order to explain this, you need to understand what is union, the type of union that we are talking about, who is God, who is Christ Jesus, and who are we? And when you begin to do that, you make, like Dave said, we're teaching them how to be good human persons by teaching them how to be disciples of Christ, you know? Um, so the idea of what does it mean to be a human person? What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus Christ within these contexts? When I work with teachers, part of it is to get them to understand their story of Christ Jesus. But the other thing is the root, the rooting of evangelization in an act of love and not in an act of, I don't know what, what you would say, like productivity or something, right? Like, right. I'm just here to multiply disciples for the sake of itself. No, I'm right. because I love you, right. and I love Christ, and I want you two to know each other. Yeah. Cool. Okay, so we've talked about leadership. we talked about teachers. I want to hit two more groups. The next group I'd say is, and, and this is what I'd say, you know, that the surveys that come out, remember, parents are the first teachers of the faith. And so if you're really serious about evangelizing your students, some component is going to be directed towards the parents. Try to do something towards evangelizing parents. And that even could just mean teachers discipling parents in a certain sense as much as they can, right? That they can build those relationships. But having events, having uh, some kind of forum by which you could introduce people to Jesus Christ is going to be important, right? Because no matter what you do, even if you have a kid for, let's say, let's say they're playing sports, so they're there for 10 hours a day or 12 hours a day even, right? You're never going to undo what is being taught at home. And so trying to evangelize parents, right, is going to be really, really important. And in many schools, you you might not have even, uh, you know, you might not even have 5% of families who you would consider intentional disciples. Uh, same thing with CCD. It's the same way. And so you're going to have to make disciples. You can't just hope that they come. You're going to have to explicitly try and dig in and make disciples of those parents. And one of the one of the easy ways to do that is is with events. Okay, um, the schools still command a a serious respect. And so when you host events, um, you could get a lot of people to come to those things and and really proclaim Jesus Christ and the the truths of the faith so that it starts to show what is important at your school, what is important about, um, you know, what the decisions you make, why do you make those things, communicating that to the parents. It's going to start to really kind of turn in their head and break down these walls, these barriers uh, that we that are there 
and they're going to start thinking about things they've never thought about before. Parents. Go for parents. <laughs> parents, parents. Um, <laughs> in crafting these events, I would say touch upon hot-button issues as the entry vehicle. Um, screen time, pornography, online habits, bullying, all of those things that uh, parents are already concerned about become excellent avenues to develop or to propose the gospel and develop within them that kind of integral human conversion that we're looking at. Um, the Jesuits have a motto, which was, give us the boy, we'll give you the man, right? Um, which is an interesting, interesting phrase. But um, the whole idea is we are forming them not to be good and well-mannered children. I think that's part of the process that kind of the public ethos, the modernist ethos of public schooling has kind of taken a hold of. We don't want them to be good children. We are forming them to be excellent adults, right, to be virtuous adults. And the problem is uh, oftentimes parents aren't explicit in that. So we are talking about the trinity of education, which is parent, child, and teacher. And anything you can do to reach out to them, uh, you start with the low-hanging fruit of things the parents are already talking about. Um, and, and I also think that there can be a lot of clarity here in what the school expects of their of the parents of their students right because oh man yeah absolutely i think that's so important. yeah because I, I do believe that you know parents in suburbia can be terrible when it comes to education because they intervene at the worst times right when little johnny gets in trouble not my little johnny and then teachers loathe participating with parents or getting parents involved and then, because the parents just become helicopter parents over the teachers. But the idea of communicating philosophies and approaches and all of this stuff and letting the parents know, like, we expect you to be praying with your kids. We had one teacher right. who was accosted by a parent, or excuse me, my, um, my wife, and this is a CCE comment, but the parent said, had, you know, what the heck is going on in your class? And she said, what are you talking about? She said, my kid doesn't even know how to pray the Our Father. And he knew it last year. My wife just said, I'm so sorry you don't pray the Our Father at home. Like, you don't. Right, you know, exactly. <laughs> like, right. this craziness. Um, now, school obviously is a little different than a CCD program, but um, the, the concept is essentially the same. What is the bridge that we're building with the parents, and what do we expect them to be doing in terms of the faith? And part of that is kicking lessons to the parents to teach the kids and to, to try to help the parents model those things themselves. So, uh, so this is interesting. So I want to comment on what Gomer just said, because I, I, I'm so glad he brought this up. I was recently, I did a talk. Um, I don't do a lot of teenage stuff cause I, I don't like teenagers and I didn't even like teenagers when I was a teenager, but <laughs> I recently did a talk at my nephew's, uh, and niece's school in Dallas. And I talked to their principal and it, you know, it's really kind of a novel thing here. Um, they sign contracts about social media at this school. Like the parents sign contracts and they literally say, your child is not allowed to have this. They're not allowed. You need to monitor this. They, they can't have this. They, it, and if they're caught it, I mean, they're strict about it. People have been kicked out of this school because of things that they've done on social media that were like against the faith or immoral or something yeah. like that. And they sign that contract. So they're serious about it. Talk about creating a culture where parents are serious and the school is serious about raising good humans. I mean, you can do this. It works in places. So I, I, I was really thrilled when I heard that someone actually did that. Okay, so let's move on to students. Now, this is the easiest step here. Okay, so we've talked about leadership. We've talked about teachers. We've talked about the parents. And now I want to talk to you about students. 
Here's the secret with students. This is this is so simple. It couldn't be easier, okay? <laughs> it's so simple. And now now you'll know why I stay away from Catholic schools because I'm simplifying it completely. Okay. This is what you need to do. You need to preach the charisma, teach the faith, and then give opportunities for encounter with Jesus Christ. Period. That's what you need to do over and over and over again. Give them times of encounter. Preach the charisma, preach the faith, and give them times of encounter over and over and over again. This means bringing the kids to adoration. This means the pastor bringing adoration to them, doing Eucharistic procession through the school with the monstrance. This means getting blessings from the from the priest. This means times when they can actually physically make a decision to say, yes, I'd like to stand up. I want to I want to make this more a part of my life. I want to do something physical that represents a spiritual reality and give them that choice of encounter. Well, not not when they're young. You you just you just foster the encounter, but give them that chance to do something where God can hit them, right? God can speak to them. God can uh can touch them in a way and you will be amazed. One of the most amazing things I've ever been a part of is children's adoration. And I love, I love taking four-year-old, five-year-old, six-year-old. After six, it gets a little old. Uh, you know, they, they start to get a little fidgety. But four-year-olds, five-year-olds, and six-year-olds, I will take them for a holy hour, okay? And I'll lead the holy hour, okay? So I'll, I'll tell them what prayers to say. And then what I'll do is that every in between every prayer, or we sing songs as well, we do scripture readings, okay? In between every prayer will be a longer period of silence, so I say, first of all, you know, why don't you just greet Jesus and tell him you love him? And then I give him 10 seconds of silence. Then the next time we sing a song and I give him 20 seconds of silence. And then we do a scripture reading and I give him 30 seconds of silence, right? And continue on like this. I cannot, I cannot even impress you how important this is and how I think it just, it really changed my, my whole apostolate because kids were saying things to me like, I felt like God was telling me to, that I'm supposed to be a priest. I, w- I felt like God was telling me that, you know, I need to be better to my parents. I, I felt like God was telling me all these things, these beautiful things that coming out of the mouths of four, five, and six-year-olds, encounters work with kids. And so you, you got to give them what they need to understand the encounter and then set up that encounter between them and Jesus Christ. You know, God is just waiting to break into their lives, and you can do this. I think... That is amazing. Teaching silence is so powerful. Yeah, teaching silence, right? Because nobody else is teaching it. They're not, they're they're unlearning everywhere. It Their whole lives are dominated by the tyranny of noise. You can actually create an environment of silence. How amazing is that? Because God might whisper to you in your pleasures shout to you in your sufferings, but we grow in silence. We grow in silence. All things do. So uh, I want to encourage that. And when it comes to students, okay, one of the other things that I often get brought in to do is a retreat. And I want to give you a word of warning about a day of reflection, a weekend retreat, whatever it might be. Retreats do not solve everything. Retreats are not silver bullets. If you have atheistic kids, putting them on a retreat for a weekend is not going to magically, even if you bring in Dave, Milk and Honey Van Vickle, not going to magically make them perfect little theists, okay? 
But the reality is retreats can become catalysts for conversion. You're carving out time. You're removing anxieties and obstacles. You're removing the cloudiness of, of every day. And you're giving them an opportunity to slow down and to listen. And that is very powerful. But I just want to say this. The amount of preparation leading into a retreat should be as intense as the amount of preparation going out from a retreat, right? If a kid has a conversion experience, oftentimes what we think is using Sherry Waddell's language, they go from being open or curious or even just at that beginning stage of trust. And they're now they're at like a seeking level. But many of us, or an open level, but many of us think, oh, now they're converted. Now they're Christian because they're finally speaking positively about their faith or whatever. No, 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 no. <laughs> it's probably not enough. And they need that follow-up. Right. They need that continuing right. schooling in the faith. And so my goal for every teacher is not to have, you know, eight meetings before a retreat and then, you know, a reunion one after. But the exact opposite. Right. Have one or two meetings before the retreat, whatever logistical stuff and all that. But then have eight meetings with the kids, maybe in small groups or something where they can break it down. Because I think we hang a lot on retreats, uh, especially testimony-driven teen retreats, teen-led retreats. I think those are a disaster. But, hey, kids, you're not disciples. Why don't you teach people how to be disciples? <laughs> um, but the idea being that formation is now much more ripe post-retreat, not just on the retreat. So that would be, if you're going to spend a lot of time and effort, the 8 to 10 or 12 sessions after a retreat can become the most powerful in their lives. Amen. So my last soapbox is this. <clears throat> this is to parents, okay? You know, parents, you're the one who sets the tone, right? Kids know what is important in your lives. I have so many friends who have every bit of committed discipleship other than the schedule that they set for their families, where it's so clear that sports or academics or whatever clubs are as important or more important in many cases than their faith. And you set the tone for these schools. And so uh, if you're demanding that kids get engineering in kindergarten, but you're not demanding that they're helping to evangelize and support your efforts at home, shame on you. You should be demanding the best out of these Catholic schools. And I promise you, you'll get, I mean, it's consumer driven. It, it is. We're, we're in a consumer driven society. They're going to give us what we want. And if we want good evangelizing schools, we will get them. Uh, and you have a voice. So please, please, please dig in. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, so we're going to come back here and we're going to be your five practical tips in just a minute. Uh, once again, I want to say we love working with Ascension Press. We really do. And they have such incredible resources available for you. Please, you know, if you haven't done this yet, if you listen to this podcast because maybe you've heard Gomer speak or you've seen me at a conference or something uh, and you don't realize that our connection is to Ascension Press, please go peruse the website, okay? They have a lot of great stuff available, and we want to make sure, you know, that you're being formed in the faith and you're being fed. 
Uh, it's something that I turn to. A lot of their resources I look to uh, to feed my faith, and I think it, you'll find the same thing as well. So ascensionpress.com, if you have questions about evangelizing, we love hearing from you guys out there. We I love the glory stories. So far, that yeah. have been my favorite. Yeah. I mean, it's it's Absolutely. been like such a dream to hear, you know, people... Uh, who are actually just you know stepping out of the boat and and the Holy Spirit is just showing up in big ways. So email us at eksb at ascensionpress.com. Every knee shall bow at ascensionpress.com. And uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and one thing I wanted to say, Dave, I think this can be this is a funny tie-in with Ascension, right? You ready for this? Okay, <laughs> yeah. go to ascensionpress.com and then in the search box type in uh, "Don't Walk Alone." That's my radical communities curriculum. All these principles talk, oh, everything's so expensive, blah, blah, blah. My stuff is free. <laughs> you can free, right? And the first person wow. that I know that did my community groups without, they didn't even know it was me. They just went on Ascension, blah, blah, blah. It was a faculty at a Catholic school in Oklahoma. This woman used to be at my church, and then they moved to Oklahoma, and she did the, um, the whole community group thing. It's four weeks based just on the initial gospel message and how to live in community. And she did it. And she took a picture of the screen and she screamed out, I know that guy. Right. <laughs> so it's totally free. You just don't walk alone. Just search for that on Ascension Press. Y'all can register for it. Take your faculty through it and, and just kind of um, begin to build a more cohesive and fraternal uh, group that way. So that's my plug. That is my shameless plug. Awesome. It wasn't so shameless. <laughs> we'll be back in just a minute with your five practical takeaways. After we come up with them. I'm Jeff Cavins. I wrote The Activated Disciple because I know how easy it is to practice the faith and to study it, but what if we lived our entire lives without doing what we learned? God doesn't just call us to be students. He calls us to be disciples, to look and live like Jesus. If you yearn for a life that moves beyond just studying and believing, if you yearn to become an activated disciple, then this book is for you. The Activated Disciple teaches you how to take your faith to the next level so you can become an instrument for God to transform the world. To order The Activated Disciple, visit ascensionpress.com or Amazon. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, back to Every Knee Shall Bow. Today, we are doing the five practical takeaways for Catholic education. Dave, why don't you do the number one? Okay, cool. So uh, approach a principal. Approach your local Catholic school principal and ask how you can get involved in, in evangelization. It could be through sponsoring a program. It could be through whatever. I mean, it could be any kind of way that you could be involved in the evangelization of the school. It gets a conversation started. That's the point. So approach them. This can be a scary thing. You could start with an email. But what you want to do is you know, start that conversation about evangelizing kids. Absolutely. Number two, intercession. Pray for your, if, if you have a kid in the program or in a school, pray for your kid's teacher. Pray for their conversion, pray for their ongoing conversion, pray for their life, pray for their health, pray for blessings, pray for them. If you're a principal or a teacher yourself or whatever, start to intercede for who you are responsible for. Pray for the kids. If you're a teacher or a teacher's assistant or substitute, pray for your teachers by name every day 
if you are a principal, intercession is one of the most powerful things we can do to effectively create a Catholic culture. Amen. Amen. Number three. Now, this is you're really stepping out of the boat here. I want to hear the emails that come in Uh-oh. about this. Uh-oh. You know, one of the things that can happen is you can feel like you're alone, right, in these schools, that you're trying to raise your child in the faith, but no one else is. What I want you to do is get involved in evangelizing your peers. So everybody drops their kid off at school. If you're not going to work right after that, invite some parents to get together for maybe a Bible study, maybe just a small group, maybe just a social thing, but invite people to get together for coffee or something right after that, one day a week, maybe one every two weeks, and start to talk about the faith and maybe even just start to grow in relationship so that you have the ability to share your faith with them. Uh, Number four, learn. Get involved with your kids' catechesis and what they are learning, especially find out just basics like the textbooks and, uh, you know, what's the publisher, what are they doing, how are they opening it up. You don't need to be on the war path, but it's important to know these things. And it's also important to know that there are great supplements that we can use. There are great um, content now. We, We do not live like we did in the 80s with mostly terrible Catholic content. There are excellent catechetical resources that are out there for your kiddo. All right, number five, Gomer mentioned a an address that Frank Sheed, the my in my opinion, one of the greatest Catholic communicators of the 20th century. Oh yeah, easily. Um, he gave an address to Catholic educators, some uh, religious sisters. Is that correct? Yeah. And uh, he said it's called "Are We Really Teaching Religion?" And if you just Google Frank Sheed, "Are We Really Teaching Religion?" You can find that full address. What I want you to do, it's not very long. I want you to read that address and really take a look at it and evaluate the education that your children are getting either in CCD or in Catholic education or at home uh, with the address that he gives. Uh, He's just, he's a prophet. He's a prophet. And I think he'll speak truth into your life and to your child's education. So that has been Every Knee Shall Bow. Those are your five practical takeaways within Catholic schools, changing the culture of Catholic schools to make them powerhouses of evangelization. I'm Mike Gormley, joined as always by Dave Milk and Honey Van Bickle. God bless you all. <laughs> See you next week. Stay classy.